0: Today's episode of the No Neutral Moments podcast is brought to you by my friends at AdMark. Uh, The foundation of a company or product is its logo or logos. Uh, Daryl and his team really cling to John chapter one that says, In the beginning was the word, for you see a logo is your identity. It's your personality. Along with your brand, it shapes how people define your company. For over three decades, Daryl and his team over at AdMark have designed logos for companies small and large all across the Permian Basin, and yes, all across the country, no matter where you are. So after all, your identity is by design. So check out the show notes to contact AdMark for all of your advertising and design needs. They've always done a great job for me. Literally over 20 years, whether it's been in previous careers or in campaigns, and various things we do. So be sure and check out the show notes and reach out to Admark at admarkadmarc.com or email Daryl at Daryl, D-A-R-R-E-L-L at admark.com. Well, hello there, and welcome to this episode of the No Neutral Moments podcast. I am so emotionally happy about this. I cannot tell you how excited I am about this guest. As many of you know, um, I'm about 80% uh, a loner on the podcast, and then I have about 20% guests. And and I think I was thinking earlier about the audience, and if, if somebody told me, hey, pick out five people in the world you want to interview, today's guest would be at least in the top three. So, um I'm so excited about having Dr. Kathy Cook with us. Uh, Many of you have heard me refer to Dr. Kathy Cook and her writings. Much of my career is possible because of Dr. Kathy Cook and people she has introduced me to. So let me uh, just go ahead and go through the introduction, and I'm just going to tell you, as usual, audience... Sometimes you're used to 30 minutes or 45 minutes. I told Dr. Cook, I don't care how long this one goes. There's no way you're going to hang up on this one, or you'll at least take a longer drive uh, to hear what we're going to talk about. So let me introduce you to Dr. Kathy Cook. She's the founder and president of Celebrate Kids, Inc. based in Fort Worth, Texas, and a co-founder of Ignite the Family. This is based in Alpharetta, Georgia. She's influenced, and this is no exaggeration, thousands of parents and teachers and children in 30 countries through keynote messages, seminars, chapels, all kinds of events. We've had the privilege of speaking at events together, and it's been unbelievable as an experience. She's a featured speaker for the Great Homeschool Conventions on the faculty of Summit Ministries and a frequent presenter for CareNet, Net, AXIS, and other organizations. If I say anything wrong, she can connect me or correct me because I pulled this right off of her webpage. So she does speak regularly at schools, churches, pregnancy resource centers, and if I can have anything to do with it, I want her in front of corporations. So... She's a popular guest on Focus on the Family Radio and other radio talk shows because of listeners' reactions and feedback. Her broadcasts about the eight great smarts, which we will talk about, made the top 10 shows of the year on Focus on the Family in 2014 and 16. Kirk Cameron chose her as the technology expert to interview in a 2018 movie called Connect, real help for parenting kids in a social media world. She's authored six books, including Screens and Teens and Eight Great Smarts, her newest book, Start With the Heart, How to Motivate Your Kids to Be Compassionate, Responsible, and Brave, Even When You're Not Around, was published by Moody in March. She might have something even more recent than that. We'll we'll find out about. She's nodding her head yes. She earned her PhD in reading and educational psychology from Purdue University. Go Boilermakers. She was a tenured associate professor of education at the University of Wisconsin, Green Bay, Wisconsin, a teacher of second graders, a middle school coach, a school board member before becoming a full-time conference and keynote speaker in 1991. She has loved Jesus for years, and her faith and desire to serve and glorify God is the foundation of her ministry. You can find her at CelebrateKids.com. And we'll probably find out some other social media places you can connect with her as well. One quick story before I allow her to dive in here. I first met Dr. Cook and Kathy, I don't remember the exact time. I'm going to say it was mid-2000s, 2005, 2006, maybe something like that. I had been invited to come speak at a conference in California. And um, I'd heard all the people in the conference talking about going to hear Dr. Cook. And, um, and I had about 30 people in my breakout session and I thought, well, I'll go hear who this Dr. Cook is, who was standing room only a packed auditorium. And it was the first time I heard her talk about five core needs and got to meet her. After that, we had the opportunity of serving in some different capacities together. And it's no exaggeration to say that the five core needs was the linchpin Of something I needed that I was missing in some teaching I was doing um, in different areas. And so indebted to that in so many different ways. And she also introduced me to mind styles, which we might dig into a little bit here. We'll see where it goes. But uh, Dr. Cook, welcome. It's awesome to have you. Tell us what you've been doing and uh, we'll get into it.
1: Well, first of all, Patrick, thank you so much. That's just a generous introduction. And I recommended you today to someone. I did a podcast (laughs) earlier today. And he ends it off air by saying, who should I interview next? And I mentioned you. So I love being a fan of yours um, and your insight and your passion for life. And I really appreciate that God would have allowed us to connect and be influential toward each other. It's just a delight to be here. And um, yeah, my newest book is Resilient Kids. So we're in the process of updating our website. and Clearly, we need to update the biographical sketch. So Five to Thrive, About the Core Needs, and Resilient Kids, Raising Them, to Embrace Life with Confidence, are my newest books. And uh, you pretty much covered it. You know, I speak in churches and schools and conventions, and um, anybody that would want my insight might want to call us and put us to work. I love writing and doing the talk radio and doing podcasts like this because you know what? We're all about influence and impact. My, my whole reason, I did not start Celebrate Kids to be popular, uh, certainly not to be wealthy, but to be impactful. And it's, you know, it's helpful, isn't it, to have purpose and to know why we're doing what we're doing. It really helps us stay in our lane and then be satisfied at the end of the day if we, in fact, have had the fulfillment of, in my case, influence and impact. And I know those are really important to you as well.
0: Absolutely. Let's talk real quickly about resilient kids. Kathy, I have um, been deeply concerned. Um, You have worked with me with youth for a, a long time. You've seen how passionate Cindy and I have been about young people and youth. But there seems to be an ever-deteriorating foundation for kids to stand on for their lives. Um, it, it, Not just the bigger mention of purpose, but the issues, and this may bleed into five core needs, of just who they trust, what they can trust. And I know the trust is a who, not a what, but even the 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 organizations around them, who do they trust? And, and, and we could say things like the breakdown of the family, but it seems to me with a title like Resilient Kids... We're really in this crisis moment of, of youth and children who maybe don't even know what to fight for or how to fight. Take that wherever you want to take that.
1: Oh, oh it's so interesting. One of the, I, I started writing this book during the COVID crisis. I've written about resiliency in two other books, including the core needs, because it's a core element of a person's security. Can I trust anybody to help me? And I can can I trust myself to know when I should stand up and walk out of a negative, you know, what I would call a valley experience. But I started to write it when I saw generations just going south, you know, generations being defined by what they don't know rather than what they do know. Generations who are being defined by what they don't have. Hmm. And I'm like, don't let anybody ever call you the quarantine generation. You're more than that. But you know what, Patrick, if people don't know who they are and who they are capable of becoming because they don't understand the beauty within that hasn't maybe yet been discovered, then they might as well sit down in the Valley. Hmm. And frankly, it's easier. It is easier to sit down and be satisfied with the C or to not make a soccer team and not to try again, or to be a 35 year old executive and, and not try for a promotion. That's easier than taking a risk and being teachable and putting forth effort and diligence and then maybe getting accepted into that new role or not. So without resiliency, we don't problem solve. We don't have healthy mental health. We live in our anger. We live in our regrets. And and that's just tragic. So, and, and I'll say one more thing, Patrick. I think one of the reasons that it's a real dilemma today that you and I have noticed in the young people we, we love and serve is that there's way too many parents, frankly, who have gotten weak, mm. who want the easy way out. And I don't say that with any mean spirited intent at all. Parenting is hard. And the majority of the people who I talk to are doing the very best that they know how to do. And I want to say to them really through this book in a kind of backhanded way, you cannot live through your children. You must let them struggle. It is not a reflection of your character or excellence as a dad if your kids struggle. If you don't let them struggle, they will not develop into who they could be. So that that's just a little bit of the background. And, and I appreciate you bringing that up. So critical.
0: Well, okay, let's go back to a comment you just made that I think is... I just want to press into this a little more. I've never heard you use this phrase. Maybe it's new in the book. Sit, sitting down in the valley. Yeah. Um, it seems to me that people have forgotten the valley is actually where life is formed and where it happens. Yes. Mountaintops yes. are not where you remain. It's the celebration of what you learned in the valley. Yeah. But we have allowed people to quit in the valley then we've allowed performance to be in front of us on social media, TikTok, whatever it is that makes it appear as though everybody's on the mountaintop. And so we make excuses to say, then just sit in the valley. The valley's where you should be. We'll medicate you in the valley. We'll allow you to be in the valley. We will normalize your socialization in the valley rather than, and then we're considered mean if we tell people fight through the valley. It, it, it's oh. it's a place where you learn. Tell me if I'm off. Tell me if I'm seeing this correctly no. with you, that it's just, uh, someone told me that I was listening to a speech and they said, we're, we feel like we're in the ditch. And I said, well, good, because life happens in the ditch and yeah. then you get back on a road till you get to the next <laughs> ditch. So correct me, help me with that, because we're no. diving, diving in pretty quick here. No, it's
1: really good. Um, you know, We walk through the valley Uh, to get to the the end place, the better place. Psalm 23, it would be the mountaintop. It's in the valley that the grass grows and the water flows. It's in the valley that there's shade and that there's rest and that there's a place to escape the predator. If you're out in the open field, you can't escape the, the wolf, if you will. If you're at the top of the mountain all the time, you'll die from the heat and you'll have a sunstroke. But what's really sad are the people who have admitted to me that they have sat down in the valley and counted the blades of grass per square inch. And they have had a pity party and they've invited people there because we're weak and we're not not standing up to the things that are right and saying no to the things that we should say no to. Now, when I share this with young people, they will sometimes applaud. They'll sometimes very graciously, thank you, Dr. Kathy, for reminding me that I am created for more than this. But the thing is, Patrick, we, who are the more mature adults who have lived life longer, we got we to gotta walk with them, you know, to side-by-side discipleship, not five steps ahead of them, expecting them to keep up, but to really show them and to teach them. <laughs> you know me, don't telling you,
0: yeah.
1: teach, coach, affirm, correct, talk about it, make it the ongoing conversation. And, you know, for those people listening who share our faith perspective Romans, a book in the New Testament, Romans chapter five, teaches very clearly that when we walk through the challenges, when we experience the suffering that our creator would allow us to experience, our character grows and our faith deepens. And Patrick, you and I both know that's true. When I look at the dropout rate from faith and the dropout rate from church, I think it's largely due to the fact that these young people don't really know themselves or the God of the Bible, well enough to know that he is dependable because they've never experienced him in a, in a real moment of trauma because they've been babied to ignore it or they've been so fearful that they've done a U-turn at the beginning of what could have been a growth experience for them.
0: Yeah, and, and not realizing that, to go back to where you and I hang our faith hat and our life in the scriptures and in Jesus in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, I'm paraphrasing, it says you're going through what you're going through because there's someone in your path who's mm-hmm. going to need to have the encouragement and the lessons you have learned. But instead, for decades now, we have allowed people to not finish the journey. We've given them an escape route, a parachute out of their problem, a ladder out of the valley, whatever the case might be. And so they have nothing to offer except, well, this is how I feel about it too, and this is how you feel about it too, so woe is all of us, rather than being able to, I heard a gentleman call it this. We we have enough sages on stages. What we need Ah. is guides on the side who have walked these things and can say, let me walk with you. In fact, in all humility, let me tell you what it was like when I went through this. Let me tell you what it was like when I didn't think I could read. Let me tell you what it was like when I was being raised by a single mother or whatever the case might be. But now rather than sitting down in the valley or counting the blades of grass or woe is me, let me help you become everything you're designed, called, and gifted to be as I'm going through that same journey. So, again, it's just a, we, we've, it's like we've decided not to journey anymore.
1: Oh, that's, a, that's a good phrase. And we don't have to be perfect to do it, Patrick. Mm-hmm. We can help others without our perfection. You know, perfection isn't something we should strive for at this side of heaven. It's not realistic, it's a defeating perspective, and it won't help us help anybody else. Yeah. Um, When you present yourself as being all-knowing and all put together, it's much harder for people to come to you for help.
0: Oh, absolutely. Why
1: would I come to you and expect you to help me through my negative trauma or my bullying experience or the hate that I feel for someone if I believe you've never experienced any of that? You're worthless to me. So we need to be appropriately vulnerable and appropriately transparent and, and talk about the good. Talk about What we've learned when we've when we've trusted someone, you know, I used to be I can very easily be an introvert. I am an introvert and I can very easily isolate and intellectual pride is something I have to be really afraid of and aware of because it's very easy for me to I can do it all, even though I have a staff and I've got friends and I've got a board of directors and I've got people like you that would mentor me in a heartbeat if I asked you to and you do. Um, But but we need we need to step away from that and recognize that we're all learning, we're all on a journey. And when yep. we have that humility and we present that to someone, then I think it's easier for them to trust and then we can be more influential.
0: I know people want me to dive into five core needs, but I wanna pause for a second and ask you, because I was I was coaching a client the other day who said, can I ask you a question about my son? And I said, well, sure you can, absolutely. And he began to describe his son to me and his son's behaviors. It was just normal nine-year-old behaviors. And uh, and I immediately stopped him and I said, listen, I'm going to recommend to you a book called Eight Great Smarts. And <laughs> I said, you need a highly educated h- husband and wife, uh, attorney, um, and, and very educated, and their son is smart in different ways. Even though this is not going to get us to five core needs off the bat, would you explain the eight great smarts, where that came from, and even give people a flyover of what that involves?
1: Yeah, I'd love to. Howard Gardner is the um, researcher behind this Gardner. He is from um, Harvard University and he's a psychologist and he was really interested in why people behave so differently. And through the research of the mind and brain and through MRIs and st- studying stroke patients and all that, he discovered there's eight different unique ways that we think. All of us have the capacity for all eight. Those of us who are word smart think with words. So school is not a scary place for us, nor is church. We're the readers, writers, speakers, and listeners. Wait, wait, and then there's logic.
0: I, I, what do you mean, schools, for word-smart people, school yeah. and church is not a great place? Explain that. No, it is a great it place. Is a great place. Okay, it is a great that. place.
1: Okay, I misunderstood that. Okay, yeah. Um, and then let, let me explain logic smart, and then I'll come back to that. So logic smart are people who think with questions. We love it when things make sense. We explore, we debate. We probably enjoy science and math, and we get really irritated when things don't make sense. So, faith can actually be really hard for us. And the only reason that I teach those two first is that that is what school is created for children and even adults who read, write, speak, and listen, and ask and answer questions and seek truth. So, people who are gifted by God in those ways feel smart in school aren't afraid of Sunday School Life Group or listening to a sermon. They like podcasts. They're probably listening to us right now. But there's six other ways to be smart. And it's those children and adults who are not affirmed by the system, which I think is broken across the road and, and all that. So number three is picture smart. And picture smart kids are creative with their eyes and design and color. They think with their eyes in visuals. They remember what they see. The fourth one is music smart. Again, the order is now irrelevant. Music smart people think with rhythms and melodies. We sing in tune. We play instruments. We hum and we whistle and we toe tap and we drive people. And that's when we do it, Kathy. And then this, um, I'll you know, stop
0: you on four music yeah. because my daughter and I joke that if if school would have been a musical, we would have been Academy Award winners. And oh, that's a great line. And what's funny about it is uh, Cindy and I, my precious wife, were on a long drive over the weekend, and she'll do this thing with me because it doesn't matter what genre. I remember every artist in every song and I know it within the first two bars and we literally did it again. She said, You're not allowed to look at the radio. She said, But for the next few hours, I'm gonna see how long it takes you to not identify a song or an artist. And we probably drove for two and a half, three hours and never missed one. And and so it's it was it's funny to um, <laughs> when when you say that, I so hear that. Literally again, if school yes. would have been a musical, I'd have been an Academy Award winner.
1: Oh, it's such a great line. Well, in my family, we're very musical. If one of us says friends with just the right tone of voice, we all start to sing. Yes, there were notes. There were sisters. There were no never such devoted sisters. (laughs) I'm sorry. The word is sisters. I screwed that up. But um, yeah, we're we're lyricists uh, Hmm. at the core. And so, Patrick, the point about that is that you do that because of how you are smart. It's not like I love to tell young people. It's not you're creative because you're smart. You remember lyrics and and you you can tell it's an oboe or a bassoon or a bass or a whatever because of how you're smart. It's not just the kids over there that are smart. You're smart too, but in a way that sometimes doesn't make you feel smart in a system that's all about A's and B's that are done through you know true false assessment. And then we have body smart kids. And these are the athletes. This would be your son, who I know is a competitive athlete for years and others of you as well. But body smart kids are athletic, dancers, movers and shakers, rattlers and rollers. They'd rather have a beanbag chair and a rocking chair than a stiff back chair that four legs have to be on the floor with. And then nature smart kids would rather be outdoors and indoors. They know animals, plants, rocks and minerals. They do better in earth science and biology than in physics and chemistry. They're smart differently. And they might be the ones that you know, rescue the um, elephants from Africa. They're the ones that run the pet shelter. And they're the ones who have a therapy dog when they're, this is a friend of mine, is a hospital chaplain with two therapy dogs. And she became a chaplain partly because she could have dogs that would work with her. And so you can look at this for career and for joy and for satisfaction and for so much else. And then there's people smart and self-smart. And people smart people think with other people. It's what you and I are doing right now. We're bouncing off of each other's thoughts and we're going to come away with greater wisdom at the end of this than we walked into this interview with because we think well with other people. And then self-smart people think deeply inside of themselves. They tend to be quiet and very reflective and they underperform at work and at school because they keep all of their great ideas to themselves because their joy is knowing what they know, where people smart get a joy from telling what they know. So again, it's word, logic, picture, music, body, nature, people, and self, we believe we're all born with the capacity for all eight. We can teach to all eight. We can reteach to all eight. We can look at friendship and get to be better friends with people if we look to see where are their smarts. And it's huge for careers as well.
0: I was just getting ready to say, for all the corporate people who are listening to this, how many of us treat everybody in one category? I mean, we, we... if you're word smart, you expect everybody to be word smart and you create a culture that's about word smart. And if you have people that are nature smart or who are body smart, and I imagine body smart people, you'll correct me on this if I'm wrong, probably don't exactly love to sit in the cubicle the entire day. Oh, and, and, oh my and so if you get mad because they get up about every hour to go get something to drink, it, you are really, if you make them sit down too long, you're inhibiting their creativity and their ability to be everything they're supposed to be.
1: Oh, absolutely. Preach it. Um, body smart people will struggle with that people smart people will die in a cubicle Hmm. i know of them they've quit their jobs and they've been fired because they get their best ideas when they talk to other people so they need a snack room they need to be able to walk and not be told why are you away from your desk i know of young people and older people who if they were allowed to knit during meetings or even a sermon they would remember everything that was said but when they were told put it down and listen to me. They weren't able to be effective. So you know what this is, Patrick? It's all about honoring other people and remembering that they're not all made in our image. And so can we respect, can we let them doodle because great ideas come from the doodle, right? Can we let them ponder? Like, because we know we're self-smart, all of us are self-smart. We get our best ideas. We have time to think deeply. What if you had a corporate meeting and and let's say it's a 30 minute meeting Fifteen minutes in, you call a five-minute break. Yeah, you've have, you've have you've addressed the issue at hand. This is the con- we need to make a conclusion about this within about fifteen or twenty minutes. Let's all take a five-minute break. Stay if you want, stretch if you want, get, a, get a drink of water if you want. Just five minutes, no talking. Five minutes, and then we'll come back. And you will have self-smart people who will now have something to say. Well, then I remember. But, the well, first, we don't think of that.
0: Well, the first time I met you and you came to our church and did my style's for us, I remember you saying. If any of you need to stand up, if you need to be in the back of the room, if you need to move, you're not going to bother me at all. And there was a freedom. There was literally a freedom and people paid attention and they retained. They honored each other by not being on phones and different things like that. But at the same time, you said, if you need to stand up, go stand up. If you need to be in the back, be in the back. And how many of us growing up in church or in school had to sit in a classroom for 45 minutes to an hour and we were already checked out 15 minutes in trying to figure out what to do. So in my world, we took offering envelopes and tore them apart so we could draw on them, you know, exactly. just try to do something. Kathy, when it comes to the world of assessments, we are going to get to five core needs. I have noticed whether it's mind styles or, and you know, there's a gazillion uh, assessments out there, right? That you can assess people. I'm finding that we're assessing ourselves in order to try to get to a structure we want rather than assessing in order to understand how to honor people and who they are. Do do you see any of that? Or or, or have you noticed it in your years? Because, you know, you you and I love mind styles, but I can sit in any assessment and almost put any result of any, any test in the boxes we use for mind styles in, in many regards, whether it's disc, whatever it is, Myers, it doesn't matter. I can put those in categories, but for the life of me, I've noticed most companies will pay handsome amounts of money for assessments but the stewardship of the the humanity around us is still absent we wonder what's going on you you can assess and assess but if you don't respect the co- collective genius and honor it I guess what I'm saying without finishing a sentence like a good CR would <laughs> you you the leadership is harder if you're really going to try to honor people rather than your structure of your company? How do
1: you feel about that? Oh, oh, come on. Leadership is harder, but you'll also have less effect, less impact, less joy, less peace. You're going to have people quit their jobs because they're not going to feel honored. It's very easy to assess people to prove what you want to prove. You can find an assessment and you can say, look, everybody needs to sit down, look at me and take detailed notes. Hmm. No, that's not true. So that's arrogant. So do we have the freedom? Do we have the confidence to honor? Do we have the confidence to allow people to become who they were created to be? Why did we hire them? So then I would go all the way back because do we have interviewing processes and even assessments at that stage of the game possibly that are kicking out the creatives that are the ones that are unique problem solvers very quick? And could probably solve a problem that you have that you don't know you even have because you're satisfied with the lockstep sequential thinking of the people that you've recruited and trained and hired. And I get that. You know, if they don't know what they don't know, they don't know what they don't know. But we're here to say there are there's freedom in knowing who you are. Yeah. And leading differently. You know, back to your example of, you know, what I'll say, you know, feel free to stand in the back if you want to. Or if I'm, if I'm doing a, you know, a six-hour seminar with a bunch of teenagers, I might bring in fiddlers. I might bring in um, koosh balls and Velcro and squeeze balls and pipe cleaners. And I'll say, if anybody wants to you know, play with these, or if you want to color while I'm teaching, feel free to do that. And everyone picks up a fiddler. Everyone gets a koosh ball or a slinky because it's so cool. And within fifteen minutes, the only ones that are using them are the ones that benefit from it.
0: Yeah, yeah. I had I was in a conference. Out. Yeah, I was in a conference the other day, and a, a lady who was leading the conference had put a fiddler in front of me. And for those of you who want to went a fiddler, and we're not talking about the person on the roof. We're talking about a gadget. <laughs>
1: And, so, something to play with, with your fingers that's quiet.
0: And the funny thing was, is I didn't like mine. And so oh my God. I, I, was, I was already looking around for another fiddler and how I was going to handle this. And, uh, oh. but, but my go-to now is I keep a fiddler in my briefcase and it's a four color pen, you know, those old 1980s yes. four color pens. And people ask me why I do that. And quite frankly, it's so I can stay attentive because I can change ink while I'm taking notes. And that's really the reason I do it. So I can take notes of different ink and stay engaged and write outside the lines. So any, any last comments on that little tangent on eight great smarts? I want to encourage people, parents especially, grandparents. Best thing about being a grandparent, and I have four grandkids, is I can parent my grandchildren better than I parented my kids, right? With yeah. lessons I've learned. Yeah. So any, any other comments about that before we move on
1: to what I said? Well, let me say, to? you know, we're going to talk about these five core mm-hmm. needs, right? Well, let me say that the eight smarts are hugely important when we think about meeting people's needs. One of our greatest needs is for security. When you know who you are, like if you walk into a situation and you know that you're word smart, you're going to be up for the game, right? If you walk in and you think, oh, I'm not word smart, then you disengage. So So the smarts will help you with security. They give you your identity. Who am I? Hey, I'm a body smart person, so I'm going to sit in the back just to make it a little bit easier for me to wiggle and not distract people. But please understand, I'm going to be very attentive. Don't think that I'm checking out when I'm moving around back there. It actually helps me learn. Belonging, who wants me? When we know who we are, Mm. like if we're both nature smart, then we go for a walk in the woods and we get to know each other better. If we're both logic smart, we pair up to solve a company's problem and we leave some of the other people out of that equation for the first 10 minutes, maybe, because we're quicker and more efficient at problem solving. Hmm. Purpose, why am I alive? Why was I created? I'm a word smart, logic smart, people smart person who gets paid to talk. Like, that's remarkably Hmm. fun. So if you know who you are with your smarts, it gives you some sense of purpose or it gives you actual purpose. And then competence, what do I do well? When you discover... That maybe the reason I'm struggling in this particular position or with this particular boss is because of how I am smart. It's not, am I smart? We're all smart, but how am I smart? Man, I'm self-smart. And he is so quick and he demands answers so quickly that by the, but I don't have an answer. And then I feel like I'm stupid and he doesn't think that I'm creative. I've got to help him understand that I need more time to process all of his brilliance so that I can add to the brilliance. Because yep. right now I feel yep. like I'm hopeless at work. So these these eight smarts that you started with are actually an effective way for us to maybe bring up the beginning yep. of this yep. pyramid view of the five needs.
0: Well, and there's so many. I've I've noticed that one of my body ways I pay attention is I sit back, cross my legs, cross my arms, lower my head, and watch. And my wife, again, she says... You are communicating, you could care less about what these people are saying. And I say, no, no, no. This is actually my yoga pose for paying attention. And I've <laughs> I've gotten in meetings with people where I've said, just before we get started, I'll say, now listen, I know you got a lot to share with me. So I'm gonna sit back, I'm gonna cross my legs, and I'm gonna cross my arms. I did this last week in a meeting and I said, I am concentrating on you, and this is the comfortable way for me to concentrate. And and people who are listening to us will say, That sounds stupid. No, it's it's honoring the people around you to say, this is what I'm getting ready to do. And, and I'm going to look probably over the top of my glasses. I'm not glaring at you. I just want them to know my posture is uh, it's it, everybody would tell you body people or whatever who do body language would tell you, I'm not listening. This is my posture to pay attention. And so, and if they say, they'll usually say, okay. And, but I've at least honored who they are To say, this is who I am and how I'm going to listen to you. And so don't let this be offensive to you. And and that's just honoring people is
1: so important. It's so good because now when they teach, they're not distracted. Right. They're not worrying about you. Mm -hmm. So you honored them and they don't know it in that moment, but you actually made their job easier.
0: And what I'll do if I'm sitting in a crowd is find a way to not be in the eye shot of the speaker. Oh. Because I don't want the speaker seeing me. And you've you've spoken more than I have around the world. The worst thing you can do is see somebody that you think, you know, in the back of your mind, you're thinking that person hates me and I don't want them (laughs) to think that. Right. So it's, um, well, let's, let's segue, um, five core needs have just been all pun intended at the core of so much of what I've talked to with people. And, uh, why don't you give us an idea of how that came about for you? And then we'll describe it some more.
1: Oh, that's interesting, Patrick. Right. So I was a professor of education at the University of Wisconsin-Green Bay, and I partnered with some human development professors, and we did some all-day workshops for guidance counselors from around the area. They would come onto our college campus for a day, and we would teach this core needs method that somebody else had developed. And because of our faculty schedules, we had to teach them in the wrong order. And as I was teaching them, so you and I know that security is first, because who you trust makes all the difference. And then identity, if you don't know who you are, it's because you don't know who you're trusting. So people can figure this out visually in your mind, picture a foundation block of security. And on top of that, we have identity. But I had to teach them in the wrong order. I had to teach identity before security. Hmm. And every time at the end of the day, I was... I was wrestling, Patrick. I knew now this was secular. This was a, if you will, a public school version of the model that the Lord gave me after the fact, but I, I was wrestling, with, there's something wrong. There's something wrong. And then praise God for the accuracy of scripture to open to Ephesians and the teaching of Christ and to see, Kathy, the reason that you're unsettled by this is security has to be first. Hmm. So I began to wrestle with it as a professor, teaching it, and it was a good program. People benefited greatly, but I knew that it was the the triune God and the, the way that he meets our needs that would become really the core essence of what you and I know to be true. Now, it still has huge applications without that. totally. But that's where I started, working with guidance counselors, and then speaking to my pastor at the time, David George, saying, You know, can you walk walk this with me? And and what do you see here? And then, you know, beginning to teach it, and then the book, the first book. And then frankly, Patrick, meeting people like you who are learned, who had so much going for you, a pastor, a theologian, and a business guru saying to me, Kathy, this is solid. Like that meant the world to Hmm. me for you to see that the organization of what we have matters. And I think that's a principle for all of us to remember, right? You can have a lot of great ideas. But when you organize them for people, it's more memorable, easier to comprehend, easier to apply. And I think that's a real gift that we have in the five needs.
0: Yeah, well, and you go back to uh, sitting down in the valley. So if Psalm 23 is true, I'm led in the valley by the shepherd, uh, just like the shepherd was led into the valley by his father for 40 days of testing and so on and so forth, that you realize every every challenge we face— is in some way orchestrated, and I'm not here to argue how, how uh, sovereignty works. I just trust that his providential hand is at work. Every challenge, test, difficulty I face is going to serve the purpose of refining and purifying more and more the five core needs of my life Or I'm going to run the other way to try to get solution to those five core needs the wrong way. And so the missing piece for me that Kathy helped me find was I was working through this thing called the struggle for transformation. And we knew that people made a decision based on either the wisdom that God provided or based upon what they saw, want, or thought they deserved. But we couldn't, I couldn't get to, but what is being tested? What is being tested? And then all of a sudden, when I took your model, security, identity, belonging, purpose, and competence, and I went to Genesis 3, again, whether you agree with what we believe in the scriptures, this test of, this, of the enemy who showed up in Adam and Eve's world, the very first question was, did he not say? That's the question Satan asked Eve, which caused doubt in who I can trust. And then the very next question was related to identity, who they were. What are you actually doing here? Why are you here? Is God holding out on you? And then does God really want you belonging? Is your purpose even secure because you couldn't trust him? Did he not say this? And so what good is it? What you can do? So try this, right? And the funny thing that people forget is when God created Eden, he actually created it with a choice to trust. There's a bunch of stuff you can eat. There's one place not to eat. And will you trust me? And I promise you, if you'll trust me, it's not about restriction. It's about freedom. It's about opportunity. Your, your, your shackles will occur if you go after what you see, want, and you think you deserve. And all of a sudden, this light went on because of Kathy. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. Literally, everything I go through, everything I take my kids through in one way or another is a teaching mechanism to reinforce what was established in creation with security, identity, belonging, comp- purpose, and competence, or it cheapens it. And it all begins with a question of trust because every test and trial is at its root and core, a test of who I trust. Does that make sense? Am I making sense oh, to you?
1: It's, yes. I remember you at the whiteboard yeah. explaining to me how this piece fit into that model. And it's so exciting. And what a, what a beautiful reminder that we need to keep thinking and we need to keep looking for the truth. And like, I'm humbled that God would trust me with this. Hmm. It's, it's practical. It's, it's life yeah. to want to have these needs met in healthy ways. You know, Patrick, they all have to be met. right? And you and I both know people who have met them in unhealthy ways. And I've certainly been there myself. Yeah, we all or have. Where I've attempted to meet them in unhealthy ways. So that's one of the powers I think that we can bring to people is, yeah, are, you, are there counterfeit? Ne- I, there's counterfeit needs and there's counterfeit solutions to the yeah.
0: needs. I think there's more counterfeit solutions than needs. I think those five core needs are in everybody. But Kathy, what about this? Um, I think, I, I would say I believe, but I, I, I really believe it too, but I don't want to sound that confident in myself. I think since World War II, the U.S. workforce and people and families have built their lives on an inverted needs pyramid. So we've, your grandfather and my father and our grandfathers, great men, possibly whoever they were uh, in your life, were just building their lives on a competence of what they did. And Mm -hmm. when we met people, we'd say, what do you do? And they'd say, well, this is what I do and it's who I am. And that gave them a purpose. I'm, I'm a professor, I'm a teacher, I'm a mechanic, whatever it is. And my belonging is based upon a company who wants me. And my identity is based upon the competence of what I do, so on and so forth. And my security is rooted in the very bottom of this, which is what I do. I think of all the ridicule we heap on millennials, I still think all of us, whether we're religious people or not, have this deep longing in our soul for needs to be correct. I actually think the millennial generation whether they know it or not, have soulishly pushed back against this inverted core needs and -hmm. are demanding it to be met. They don't know how to ask for it to be met. So they identify belonging with having a relaxing place in the marketplace or a place to go rest, you know, a a break room or... Mm. They don't know what they're asking for. But I think what they're asking for is... We don't want a business climate made up of what the 80s and 90s were typified by, that we can't trust you. So can I trust you? And I'm noticing young people flipping jobs at a record pace, not because they're looking for purpose. They're looking for security, and they're a generation that have been raised with zero security around them. Give me your thoughts, if that made any sense.
1: Yes. And if there's time today, Patrick, we could also come to those technology lies Mm. Because that's a factor as well as far as why they're quitting and why they're dissatisfied. But I totally agree with you. So the correct model is a broad and a deep security. Yes. Who can I trust? Which will show me identity. Who am I? When I know who I can trust and I know who I am, then belonging who wants me becomes clear. Not who needs me. When I know who I can serve, then I will discover my purpose. Why am I alive? Hmm. And last at the tip of the pyramid, we have competence. What do I do well? And you and I like to say that if you don't have purpose, you don't think you need to do anything well. Yeah. So apathy, mediocrity, checking out, suicide, it's all a lack of purpose. Yeah. So what you're saying is that in the older days, it flipped it. Competence, what do I do well, was my security. Yeah and purpose so my dad was an engineer my dad was a great man a great dad and a great provider he was an engineer and when he retired he had business cards printed donald j cook comma professional engineer comma retired and then they moved again and he had them reprinted he had no one to give them to <laughs> he knows i tell this story He's been with i'm, Jesus for 20 I'm years.
0: dishonoring him by laughing but i know what you're no,
1: saying no. no but that is that is exactly what you're talking about is that And that's why retirement is so hard. And that's why not getting the gold watch is causing the suicide. The second leading cause, the number one leading cause of suicide for 50-year-old Caucasian men in our country is suicide. Did I say that right? The number one leading cause of death for 50-year-old Caucasian men in America is suicide. And I think largely it's a lack of purpose. Totally. Totally. If you're
0: you're a leader of a company listening to this, all you got to do is find out how quickly people want their name on their door. The first thing they'll put on their desk is their name, Their name and they want their title printed on their card, and they want a nameplate in front, and they will decorate their office immediately.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. Let me tell you, Patrick, that when I speak to 16 to 25-year-olds at Summit Ministries, which I did nine times this summer, I teach this, and I show them the inverted pyramid.
0: Hmm.
1: And what I say on a PowerPoint slide, and I show it with a it's a, it's a teeter-totter because the little itty-bitty competence can't withhold can't everything it part of it. And then I show them a tiny, tiny competence and a very tiny everything else so that it won't fall over. And as soon as I show it to them before I've said anything, there's an audible gasp. Hmm. And all I say is be careful of this because this is Western world wealthy America.
0: Say that all again. R- restate that again for everybody because that was so good and I need you to restate it.
1: Thank you. Well, I teach 16 to 25-year-olds who are seeking purpose and trying to find out why they are who they are. And I've taught these five core needs. And then I show them a PowerPoint slide with a tiny competence and above it, purpose, belonging, identity, and security. But it's going to tip over. The little bitty competence can't hold it all up. And so you end up having nothing. Then I show it a second way where the competence is small, but everything else is smaller so that it won't fall over. But if you put your security in what you do well and your identity is in your purpose only, then you're not going to have much of anything. Maybe it won't tip over, but you'll be so dissatisfied because it has to be security. And these, these are these are good kids. These are These are intellectual beings, if you will, who are seeking the best for their lives. And I say to them, don't let this model hijack you. You make sure to look for people who are trustworthy and gain ground so you can trust yourself to be right and do right, even when no one is looking. Because if you don't have security, none of this matters. It it won't fulfill you.
0: Yeah, And, and we've spent decades creating security based on competence, absent purpose, and the jigs up in many regards as far as how competence is worthwhile because, as we know, because of the good things of technology, I want to get to these negative things of technology I can turn on YouTube and get myself a pretty quick education on something pretty fast. I mean, I, I, yeah. can, I can get remotely competent about something really fast, but that days used to not be that way. Back in the past, you had to go somewhere. You had to learn from someone. People can get very competent about things, but still think there's something because they're smart about something, but they still have a lack of security and can't keep their marriage together. Can't keep a job. Can't run a company because just having the degree around you does not make you a secure person who understands who you are, who understands your belonging. And then you, you, you poison the environment around you. And it's one of the reasons why I will never decorate an office and never did decorate an office. When I, if you remember my office at Stonegate, it took years until my wife came in and said, I'm going to hang a picture. And I said, because I want no identity wrapped up in what's on the wall. And, and But again, I started watching people around me. The first thing they did was establish their place. Now, you go back to eight great smarts and somebody wanted their place to be comfortable. I get that. But people yeah. need to understand what we're talking about. If you see employees around you and people around you propping up their environment, decorating their houses, being obsessed with decorating their houses or what their car looks like, there's a really really good chance they have a very small security foundation
1: yes I'm going to put you on the spot and ask you a question do you remember Patrick when I teach this the pyramid of security identity belonging purpose and competence I then say that competence draw an arrow from competence to security I remember it. and it becomes a never-ending circle so if I am the one who teaches you competence I teach you a skill at the workplace I teach you how we do things at this corporation so that you feel successful. Now you are more secure in yourself to do the job. And you're more secure in me as a teacher, not a teller and a yeller. So there is a connection between competence and security. What you're saying is that you can't replace security with your competence.
0: Absolutely. I think you're saying you're adding on because if you're the teacher... And competence helps with security. That competence usually helps with the the identity and belonging of the security of knowing. Interesting. But what could happen is a leader thinks that because they're conveying competence that increases your security, that leader still has to be a person that has an adequate soul to them of security that's not rooted in competence. This is getting really wordy. Um, you can create a death spiral of competence to security rather than a subset of competence and security, which is what I think you're talking about.
1: Oh, that's really good. And we don't want to be the one who's teaching competence so that, oh, they need me. They have to have me. Like, right. I'm amazing. Right. It can't be selfish gain. It has to be that you're developing the core need in someone else for his or her good, right. if it, if it benefits the company, great. Right. If it benefits them and their family, better yet.
0: I had a person ask me just recently, uh, a coaching client, we were just having some small talk and, and as you know, building relationships of mentoring always require trust before you ask for people to produce. And at the end of the conversation, this individual said, I have a question for you. Um, I'm really busy in life, very successful person. How do I know my story? And I said, well, you think about it and you write it. But I said, are you willing to think about it and write it? And what's so amazing about that is if you pause long enough to think, really, who am I? And what am I secure in? And, and how am I defined? And what defines me? The idea to be able to take these core needs and recreate your script, you and I would say, from our faith background— and our faith commitment, but even for others to say, no matter what's happened to you, you can still reestablish and build a new foundation of trust that can be a new foundation of describing your identity. But oftentimes, like you said, even the church is guilty of this. We do identity seminars before we do security seminars. Yep. And, and yep. most people don't even know the object of their faith is secure enough for an adequate definition of identity. They just start with identity.
1: You know, I speak about identity a lot. And I have been saying lately that I'll ask people, do you think we have an identity crisis in our culture? Hmm. And of course, everyone says, yes, "Yes." Yes. it's so obvious. And then I say, I'm going to challenge you. Do you believe that we have have an identity crisis because we have a security crisis? Hmm. And that's exactly what happens. They audibly react to that. It is security. If I don't know who I can trust, I don't know who to hear, who to believe, and I go where the wind blows me. And if I don't have self-talk that is honoring, which is part of resiliency, actually, I'm a mess. And, and I would ask you, Patrick, like we believe security is in people, not in things. So back to the example of, you know, I'm secure because my house is prettier than your house. Yeah. I'm secure because I have more toys in my garage than you have in yours. I'm secure because I have the corner office with a better view. Right. Those things are, that's foolish to put our security there, but it's no one's fault if they haven't been taught mm-hmm that people matter more than things. But let me ask you, do you see anything in the generation about what people want out of people that would define them as trustworthy? Like is dependability, responsibility, vulnerability, truth? Do you see anything changing there?
0: That's a huge question. Um, Because while you were talking, I was thinking about how every foundation of security in the last Let's just, let's be generous and say 50 years or 60 years has crumbled. So (laughs) my security, let me put it this way. My ability to trust a politician crumbled. My ability to trust a president crumbled. My ability to trust investment world, the investment world of wall street trashed. My, my security in trusting clergy gone. Whether I'm For a lot of people, I can't
1: trust the church totally
0: my commitment to trust father or mother trashed even if not in your own life trashed in social media we need to get back to that conversation too. and so but what we've done is we've we've also through social media created this lie that says people are perfect and then so if people start believing I'm perfect, I start believing I'm perfect too and and we we lose meekness, humility, and gentleness. Which are at the foundation of trust as well. I mean, if I'm not meek, humble, and gentle, then I'm going to take for granted that you trust me and I'm probably going to abuse you rather than <clears throat> being meek, humble, and gentle. So I think we're at this place um, where we actually have an awakening opportunity to reestablish adequate security, an adequate foundation of security that in our culture is based in honoring each other. You and I would say the missing element is an adequately directed faith towards God. But if I'm talking to people who don't want to adhere to that, I can at least tell them then at least build your security in grace towards people that have a foundation you can build your life upon. You can't build your life upon what's of companies, but a carefully chosen group of friends and people. It's very difficult to say for you and me, because I still, I'm going to always go back to, you cannot have an adequate foundation outside of a relationship with God. That's just where I'm going to be. And that's, so I'm just seeing all the foundations are crumbling, but I see it differently than the people around me who say the world's coming to an end. I actually say, actually, this is our best opportunity is when the house has burned down that you yeah. get to get to the foundation rather than the fake thing you built on the foundation.
1: What we have to remember, Patrick, is that the majority of the people who we interact with do not trust. Right. And when we say, you can trust me, they're like, why? I mean, prove it, right? So corporate executives, clergy, moms, dads, grandparents, teachers, whatever, we have to have the evidence. You can trust me because. Mm-hmm. And what does that look like? We humbly ask to be forgiven. We own our stuff. We don't blame shift. We, we humbly admit our fault. We hold people to account. They, they want to be held accountable. That's part of trust is that I believe in your ability to do this. Right. And right. so, but we, we teach them truth and we show here's the documents. Here's what we believe at this company. This is our vision and this is our mission. And these are our core principles. And if you see us violating these, knock on our doors. Yeah. We have to teach them that we we can't, we're not responsible for the company over there. Right. And I can't tell you how that board of directors is going to handle the money at that investment firm. But I can tell you what we're gonna do here. Yeah. And, th- and that's our choice to earn back the trust of a very doubting population. And, and, and not to yeah. be angry about it. They come to their lack of trust honestly, like you totally. were describing.
0: Yeah, it's it, it, just no go ahead. I, I we, we're no, rolling here.
1: No, it's yeah. So do do we speak the truth in love? Do we not exaggerate? Do we not yeah. gossip? Do we tell the truth? Do we show up on time? And if we're late, do we apologize? Mm -hmm. Do we blow it off? Mm -hmm. And and again, we could talk, you know, we could talk for hours about that. But that's
0: I I remember someone telling me to be late is to dishonor the value of the lives of people in the meeting. Yeah, that's so (laughs) true. (laughs) I was reading this book. I don't know if you've heard of it called Surfing the Edge of Chaos, the Laws of Mm -hmm. Nature and the New Laws of Business. It's an old book. I say old book. It was written in the late 90s. When you said mission, vision, and values of companies, um... I'm so tired of mission, mission, vision, and value statements because mm-hmm. they're made in expectation of what you think you're going to be rather than yeah. in an observation of what you truly are because culture is made up of the things you honor and the things you shame. And I, I really want to just go into companies and tear all these things off the wall and say, uh, okay, let's go ask the people on the shop floor. Let's go yes. ask everybody what the observed values are. What do we actually honor and what do we actually shame? And we'll start from there because everything you're going to produce in the boardroom
1: is going to be worthless. That's, I mean, that is such a practical golden nugget because if we don't do that, then we don't have security. They don't know who they are because they don't know who you are. Really. Are you what the media wants you to be or what your board of directors says or what your founder says or whatever, and then belonging. I don't really know if I want to belong here or not. I thought I was coming to work for one company, but clearly, it's not what I thought. And then purpose. Well, what are we living up to? What what are our goals here? And then again, competence, they would they would be at risk to ask for help. They would know maybe what what competence you would value in them. No, totally. It's such a joke in so many ways. And it's tragic because, Patrick, you and I know that without a vision, people perish. You and I know that Having a clear idea of why we exist and what we are set out to do matters. Those are boundaries that are blessings. So it's worth wrestling with. But if you're lying, like, what's the point?
0: Yeah, it's better to say, you know what? I don't actually know where we're going. Yeah, But uh, I'm going to earn your trust and I'm going to affirm your identity. And I promise you, I really want you with me. So let's go together. I mean, because you can just, it's easy. I say it's easy. I would rather be told by someone I trust. I have no clue where we're going, but together yeah. we'll get there. And, and you know, that's one more thing on this. And then I want you to talk about technology. I've mentioned it a couple of times. I want your words on this. When we talk about security, identity, belonging, we say the question of belonging is who wants me. And you always say it's not who needs me. And, uh-huh. you know, I, the example I've given in the speeches I've, I've been able to engage in, as I've said, I have no ability to do plumbing in my house. So when my hot water heater goes out, I need a plumber to be here, but I do not want him to stay. And so <laughs> give us some more of your wisdom on that regard.
1: Yeah, that's, that's a great line. When I was a teacher of young children, I was so looking forward to my first summer off. This is going to be great. Finally, a summer off where I can rest. And I began to realize a few days in, I was not happy. And I remember thinking, Patrick, what in the heck is up with me? I was so looking forward to a break, being able to travel to see my mom and dad, not have to wake up every day, but I was miserable. And then I went to the grocery store one day and I heard somebody from across the aisle say, Miss Cook, Miss Cook. And it was one of my second grade students who recognized me. And when I heard my name called, I knew that I was having a miserable summer because nobody needed me.
0: Oh, wow. Okay. And what had
1: happened, unbeknownst to me, nothing evil, wrong here. I had placed my a lot of my security and a lot of my identity in being needed by those second grade students. Hmm. And when I taught them phonics and a math principle, they liked me, they loved me, you know, I was popular or whatever. We, our need is it comes from our purpose. Why are we created to to leave the world a better place? To be to be a positive difference maker, um, to value others so that they know that they're wanted. However you would word your purpose, your purpose is to fulfill for you and me, the call upon our lives that God created us with. Our belonging is who wants me because we're created for relationship. We're not just created for purpose. We're created for connection. We're created to love well, unconditionally. We're created to know and to be known And that happens when you're wanted. Mm. Then you can also have the need, but it can't first and foremost be that, because then your security is I'm the wise one they need. Yes. Your identity is I'm the the, you know king of the mountain, if you will, and the belonging is man, they'd be desperate without me. Yes. And now I don't relate except from a position of power and competence, which warps the whole thing.
0: I, I talked to a guy the other day who's in a job transition and uh and I learned this lesson when I left Stonegate. I think I re-engaged life too fast when I left because I needed to process how I thought I was needed rather than <sighs> what I needed to be doing. And I didn't—you you get in the adrenaline of your job, and, and whether you want to or not, innocently, you take value yeah. in the fact they need me around, they enjoy me around. And and I so I told this individual, and I would say this to anybody listening to this podcast who's in a transition— As much as you can financially afford it and not be a burden to your family, you need to take a break before you start your next job until you feel uncomfortable that you've been breaking too long so that you wash all this out and get back to a a neutral security, so to speak, a a healthy belonging and identity, and then move on. Because otherwise... You'll not be the healthy person you need to be that's regenerated for this new place you're about to go to. And I see people hopping from job to job, career to career. There's nothing wrong with that. But they don't give themselves they don't give themselves enough time to process how their security identity and belonging, competence and purpose of purpose and competence can get a little bit skewed. Not not evil. There's no evil there. There's no bad intent. But their identity has been unbeknownst to them, so wrapped up in this place and position, they need to decompress, they need to get neutral, so to speak, so they can re-engage in a healthy way. So last thoughts on that. And then i got two final questions.
1: Yeah, that's a great point. I would agree with you there. Not easy, but you're right. Otherwise, we go in and you know that the danger here in life, Patrick, is comparison, right? Mm-hmm. Comparison robs us of yep. contentment. Um, we can always find somebody who's better looking or wealthier or whatever. So if you quickly leave one position to go to a next, you're going to be so still with an identity wrapped up in the other place. You're belonging at every meeting. You know, I used to work for Jones and Smith. Yeah. It's constantly going to be your past and you're going to be comparing and then you won't be satisfied because there will always be because the where you were, even if you chose to leave it, were fired, there was something good about that and you're familiar with that. So it feels safer to you. So you have a security in what is familiar, which might make it hard for you to take a risk and to walk out into something that's new. So that's, that's great advice. Think about and if we can't do it, if we can't do it, we can intellectually work to do it, even sure. if we can't physically take a long break. Sure. And Fascinating. You can
0: always take some vacation time to do that. And, and think about our church world you and I came from, how many pastors over the decades have left a church to go to another church, have had no time to decompress yes. from a previous church experience and good or ill have brought the previous church experience with them. And they yeah. keep doing If I were on a pulpit search committee today and we brought a new pastor into our church, I would tell him, congratulations. We love you. We think you're the person, but you now get to take a minimum three month break and we don't want to hear from you. We don't want to talk to you other than we'll call you about once a week, make sure you're doing okay. Just to make sure your family's okay. We're going to pay you, but uh, disappear take your family somewhere and you come here refreshed and ready to go. And if they were, if they said to me, I don't know if I could do that, then I'd say, then you're not ready to move. And so, you know, it's just, it, you have oh. to give that people, I want to back up a little bit. I love the story you tell. And I know we have moms and dads listening to this show of how your parents, cause you mentioned your dad raised you as Chatty Cathy, too tall. How, talk about that because I think there's some moms and dads who are a little bit kid-centric because they're worried about what how people are going to define them as they see their kids. So I want them to hear the story of how your parents did not live through you but helped you live into who you are, if that helps in the question.
1: That's a beautiful way of saying that, right? I was raised by imperfect, perfect parents I have one brother three years older than I am, and we, we're, we're really close. I come from a really good background. And I was a Chatty Cathy. The rumor is I was talking in the womb. You know, I, I doubt that's really true. But I was a Chatty Cathy, and I probably got in trouble sometimes for talking in school. But I was not raised, you know, be quiet, be quiet, be quiet, shut up. Would you go find something to do? And Patrick, if I would have been raised that way, I wouldn't be talking to you today. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't have an earned PhD in reading, and I wouldn't have a ministry where I now get paid to talk and to write. My parents chose to see all the words in me as a strength to develop and not a problem to eliminate.
0: A strength to, to develop and not a problem to eliminate.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. because Patrick, most of our strengths get us into trouble.
0: Yeah, totally. Our
1: weaknesses concern us. And if you're listening as a mom or, or grandparent, the child's weaknesses concern you and drive you to your knees, perhaps, if you're a believer. But it's their strengths that drive you nuts because too much of a good thing isn't a good thing. But I was raised, they saw it as a strength to focus and develop and hone and to get boundaries to. So I was taught to listen and to speak with respect. When I was about 10 years old, they enrolled me in children's theater and they said, go talk there a while. And that's a Love true it. story.
0: Yeah.
1: And when I was a high school student, guess what? I joined the forensics team and I earned ribbons giving speeches because that's who I was created to be. My grandfather was mayor. I sat in the front row of the city chambers watching him give speeches. It's It's in who I am. My parents knew who I was and wanted, and they weren't believers, Patrick. They were good people who wanted Dave and I to become who we were created to be. They also had both of us learn several instruments and we were both in athletics. We both served in our community. They gave us a really eclectic background. I I thought I was too tall. I was about six years old and I walked home from the elementary school that I attended and sat down in the middle of my mom and dad's big double bed and I don't want to be tall anymore. And I'm so grateful my mom didn't say, well, get over it. You're going to be tall. Look at us. Yeah. Because I wouldn't have understood DNA as a six-year-old, yeah, right? right? But the, she heard my heart cry. And I'm so grateful I had a mom who I knew I could trust with that hidden fear. I was clumsy, too, and I tripped over things that weren't there. And by the end of that week, Patrick, my mom and dad enrolled me in tap dance class. And I became the center of the back row <laughs> position of high honor that only the tallest girl was allowed to have. Yeah. And no joke, in a matter of weeks, I went from insecure with my body to secure because I was wanted belonging by my dancers because I fit the center of the back row. And I like to say that if I would not have had a mom to talk to when I was six, again, I don't know if I'd be doing this today because why would I want to stand in front of thousands of people a month if I had a body image issue? Well, so when you listen to your children's questions, you change their lives. And we today through this podcast are giving people the power to listen in light of the five core needs. You know, I don't want to be tall anymore. is a security, identity, belonging issue. You know, I'm a chatty Kathy. That's identity. I use it for gossip and teasing. That's not a secure issue. My belonging will be warped. So all of that changes. And then um, I, I can't spell very well. Spelling is a challenge for me. Um, I don't know about you, but the English language makes no sense. Yeah. You know, my last name is spelled K-O-C-H, we pronounce it Cook. You know, that's ridiculous. I'm the one who used to teach the rules. If two vowels go together, the first one does the talking. <laughs> the word does is in the rule with two vowels together, and it breaks the rule. It's ridiculous. <laughs> but I still write books. You know, wh- why do I have earned PhD in reading? And why do I still write books? And why do I blog when spelling doesn't come easily to me? Because God told me to purpose. Hmm. You don't let your weaknesses win. You always lead with your strengths.
0: Yeah. Kathy, maybe you can affirm this or correct me on this. For those who are adults listening to us talk, um, who would say, I didn't have that mom and dad. I didn't have that affirmation. Uh, You know me and I'm a little direct. Um, I would say, okay, um, your parents probably didn't know what they didn't know. Exactly. Hurt people can hurt people, but it's time for you the adult now in the room, to say, I will set them free from that. I will not hold a grudge against them for that. I will not be embittered towards them for that. Because until you do, until you let that go, whether you want to or not, there's a very good chance, according to Hebrews chapter 13, your bitterness will poison your kids. And so your parents are not your excuse anymore. Uh, It may have been painful. I don't want to minimize anything that happened to you. But it's time for you to rewrite the story. Take the truth you know now. Set the people free who didn't know the truth that you just heard right now. Don't go see them and say, you want to know what truth I heard today and why you were such a bad parent? Don't do that. Just (laughs) just whatever you have to do to take a walk around the block or go for a jog or whatever your smart needs you to do, sit down and say, it's not their fault. And I'm going to move on now in the truth I know. I remember you saying... You didn't know what you didn't know, or however you say that. So yeah. affirm or correct whatever I just said there. No, We're going to... yeah. we,
1: we can't hold people accountable to a standard they do not know. Mm. And there are reasons we are who we are, but there ought not be excuses. Mm. And I say that with the utmost respect for everyone listening who wishes they would have had my parents. You can start over today, and you can grieve what isn't and accept what is. Work on what you can Start to listen to positive, affirming, optimistic voices. Make sure that you're rejecting the lie and you're walking in the truth of who you know yourself to be. Know your strengths and don't let your weaknesses win. These are practical things that we can do. And if you're listening as a parent on behalf of your children, I would implore you to do this. But I would say to anybody, whether you're a parent or not, you're worth it. You're worth the hard work. You're worth the effort to forgive someone and to choose to believe that it wasn't intentionally horrible on their part or whatever might be going on there. So important.
0: Yeah, and if you learn to start speaking life into your kids, even though you didn't have life spoken into you, it'll it'll refresh your spirit by bringing something positive into those around you. If you can't have good self-talk, make yourself have great affirmation towards others, and eventually there'll be a cognitive dissonance within you that will say to you in your own soul, why don't you believe this about yourself? And as yeah. you begin to affirm your kids, you may say, well, that's just pretending. No, that's honoring them with what you know is right. And eventually your soul will catch up with what you know you're, is true. It just takes time. To, you know, you can't just say, well, my parents didn't affirm me. Great. Affirm your kids and then keep working on yourself. Last thing, technology. Hopefully it won't end on a negative. How is technology destroying kids as you see it? <laughs> That's a pretty <laughs> blunt question.
1: Yeah, pretty blunt negative question, but let's not <laughs> end on a negative. No, that's so funny because no, there's a positive to see here. Um, so what I what I teach in my book about technology is that there are lies that we believe because of the technology we use. One of them, for instance, I am the center of my own universe. I can believe that because I can post a picture, get a thousand likes, I can listen, I only need to listen to the songs I want to listen to. Because I, and I get them for free. When I was a kid, I had to spend $18 on a whole album for one song. And we had to wait a whole week for the film to come back and pay for the pictures, even if they were bad. And so today's young people, no fault of their own, 42 years ago, personal computer, 29 years ago, World Wide Web. So people who are you know, 42 and under have had this ease of life in comparison to those of us who are older. So I am the center of my own universe. Number two is I deserve to be happy all the time. I, I'm, there's nothing on my phone I don't want on my phone, Patrick.
0: Huh.
1: I listen to only the music I want to listen to. I watch the shows only I want to watch. If I, if the phone rings, I can decide not to answer it. When I was a kid, I had to answer the phone because we did not even have an answering machine. Right, none of us so I can create my <laughs> yeah. own little world I'm in charge of, and I deserve to be happy all the time. Technology is new, now, easy, entertaining, about me. And we have something called the reboot button. Yeah. I love the reboot button, but we don't come with one. Right. That's right. And we have to make sure that our young people understand what you said, you said, what you saw, you saw, what you did, you did. And you can't just wake up tomorrow and flip a switch and say that that didn't happen. And then the third lie is that we deserve choice. You know, think about the drop-down menu. There's nothing you open on a device that does not have a drop-down menu.
0: Totally.
1: And how many apps do you have on your phone? And now we, there used to be pizza delivery, which saved the hungry people. Now there's anything delivery. Mm-hmm. You can have a steak delivered and it's tasty. It's ridiculous. Yeah. You have 24 hour everything. We, there's 2000 TV channels with nothing to watch. And there's millions of movies and there's millions of songs on iTunes. And so they, at no fault of their own, have been taught by their brain function that choice is their right. You and I know it's a privilege. Right. So if you say that I am the center of my own world, so serve me entertain me. I deserve to be happy all the time. I don't want that office. Yeah. And I deserve choice. I want to work from seven to four. It'd be better for traffic flow. (laughs) Why do I have to work from eight to five? So if you get those pushbacks, that's coming from, you're not mean and terrible, and they're not necessarily only disobedient, immature, they might be, but their brains are wired to expect the world to work this way. Also, a lot of them have done online education, which also serves them and they can set up their own little perfect world. Fourth lie quickly is that I am my own authority, mm. right? I have to be. If I am the center of my own universe and I must be happy and I deserve choice, then I have to be in charge of myself. You can't tell me what to do. I don't want to turn in the report at 2 o'clock tomorrow. I'd rather turn it in at 2 o'clock the next day. So you have to let me do that because I'm yeah. in charge. That's how I stay happy and that's how I stay at the center. And that's how I make sure I get the choices I want. And sadly, we have parents who have given into to that. Weak parents, weak educators, if I can be really blunt here, maybe even weak corporate executives who don't understand that they do have the ability to say no. You will show up at 8, and if you don't like that plan, you knew when we hired you it was 8. You don't like it. You know where the door is. And then the last one, real quick, the last slide is really interesting, Patrick. Information is all I need, so I don't need teachers. It's another authority lie, but information's everywhere, right? Right. we got the call across the bottom of the screen. You got social media, sound bites. You got the meme and the slide and the billboard and the split screen because there's so much news. We have no digging deep. We've got public schools that test way too much for information and not for wisdom. So we have generations of young people who think that all they need is the answer, information. But information won't change them. Information will not satisfy them because they were created for more than that. They want to change the world, but they won't be able to because they're going to stop at information. So if you see that you have, Corporate executives and employees who are not digging deep and not doing their homework, if you will. No, just feed me the answer. Just make it easy for me. And so these again, what I like to say, and, and you you know this model well, Patrick, it is not their fault. Yeah. I believe I would be like them if I was their age. It would be arrogant for me to think that I would have been above it. But this is why we teach character. Right. And this is why we don't let them get away with something that is weak when we know that they were created for more than this. This is where we stand before them and we say, I'm so sad for you. I understand that you believe these lies. In fact, when I teach these lies to the 16 to 25-year-olds, they are on the edge of their seat. What's the next one? And they look at it and go like, oh, I can't believe I've been suckered into this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They see it and they go, that is me. I had no idea that that's why I'm so disagreeable. You know what I teach them? Stop arguing with your parents. Because wow. when you argue, it's because you're the center. You have to be happy. You demand choice and you're your own authority. Yeah. And they grieve with me and repent on the spot, some of them. Wow. Because they don't like that about themselves. And what's really cool is that they say they listen to me because I admit that I would be like them if I was their age. I don't stand above them like I'm this amazing, you know, perfectly amazing person. No. And I struggle. I wrote the book and I can struggle with the five lies. Yeah. Well I've got another book too. And do you think that I'm working on it, or would I rather play a game? <laughs> Darn it.
0: It's yeah. um I think we're really coming to a place where our information and ability to get answers has outrun our ability or the blessing of understanding the question and the value sometimes is in the question, not in the answer. Yeah. And so we don't even know how to ask questions. I give a no. speech, I'll give a speech tomorrow morning at an, at an event. I, since I've had the opportunity to speak at a number of government functions and my speech is neither Republican or Democrat. It's the extremes have gotten so loud Um, on the left and the right, they've gotten so aggressive and everybody has their own reality and no one to quote Stephen Covey will stop for just a minute to say, help me understand before I demand that you understand me. And we Uh. won't ask questions and, and, and we're guilty on left and right of all that. We're guilty in the church world of that. We're guilty in the non-church world. We're guilty guilty in the corporate world. And when I made this comment, first time I made this comment was on, uh, I was on the BBC, and I think the audience was like it was like forty million people. It was the craziest thing, and I said because it was a discussion about energy, and and I said, "Look, we're just we're not all we're doing is shouting at each other our information, but none of us will have a conversation. But the world is longing for a conversation among with wisdom, and my phone blew up literally from around the world with people saying the following: I probably don't agree with you on most matters." but thank you for a reminder we're missing a conversation and so wow. this whole idea with technology like you said yeah. i can google an answer i can google an answer i can mm. google i can do everything i can get a menu i can it's just crazy you know and yeah but do i understand the question that's being asked at the heart of everything that's happening and and i'll 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 ask you to wrap up but i'll tell you i was listening to a podcast with of all people mark zuckerberg you know who's behind I think unwittingly some of the things that have happened and and the person interviewing him kept saying, can you see a day when everything is artificial intelligence and we don't even have interaction, everything is digital. And Zuckerberg said, I can't go there. He said, and I'm I'm paraphrasing, I'm not quoting. He said, we have to have human interaction. And he said, if we get to a place where everything is digital, I think we'll destroy ourselves. I mean, it was amazing to kind of listen to a guy at the front of this yeah. say, we're, we we have to have each other. We have to have human contact. So give us give us just a wrap up. I mean, we've talked about five core needs. We've talked about eight great smarts. We've talked about the digital trouble and the challenges. And, and I hope that people have seen how you and I have had this great opportunity to cross between church world, academic world, government world, corporate world. What would you want to end on or a question or a challenge you would want to give to this audience as we wrap it up.
1: First of all, thank you for the privilege of being on with you and being an influence. This was so much fun to talk with you. And I, I certainly hope that there was value for people. Um, I what's really on my mind, Patrick is the value of knowing who we are and why we are the, who we are. What, why why are we who we are? Um, so for people who, again, I would, I would say, why are you the, who you, who are you? How would you describe yourself? Write down, write down 10 adjectives, write down 10 I am statements. And, you know, I am creative. I am outgoing. I am loved by my wife. I'm a corporate executive. What, what comes to your mind quickly? And then maybe go all the way to 20 and look to see what's there. And then ask yourself why, and are they coming out of your brain in the right order? Um, you know, you and I are passionate for families. And so I would say, you know, husband before corporate executive and husband before father. Mm. And um, that for me, that's a really key exercise that helps me know that I'm not off track myself. If I feel that I'm in a discouraged state or a pessimistic state, I will often get out a piece of paper and write down the I am statements. And that's how I identify where my core needs are warped or where technology has robbed me or which smart, I've neglected. And that's why I'm feeling off-centered a bit. So who are we and why are we the who we are? Not everybody has a perfect story like mine, frankly, a chatty Cathy that's paid to talk and speak. And I was too tall. Now people can see me when I speak. And, you know, I have a low voice. You can hear me when I speak. Not everybody has this perfect little story, but everybody has a story and the past affects the future. Today causes tomorrow. So it is worth the investment of paying attention to why am I believing what I'm believing and what needs to change for the future.
0: Mm. What, yeah. other than what you've written, give me two or three of your go-to books you would recommend to
1: people. Oh, dear. Um, <laughs> I hate the question. <laughs> I know. Man. Um, I would say, I mean, from a I am going to just go from a Christian perspective. Yeah. I think anything that tells us more about who God is is critical. The names of God, the names of Christ. I have a book right here that I'm currently reading, Praying Through the Names of God by Tony Evans. Because the names of God, the attributes of Christ, I'm created in his image. When I know him, I know more about myself and I can rest in the middle of the valley experience. Um, One of my favorite books that's a go-to book is called Everyday Prayers. 365 Days to a Gospel-Centered Faith. It's by Scotty Smith. I don't know if I've ever mentioned it to you, Patrick. No. Everyday Prayers, 365 Days to a Gospel-Centered Faith by Scotty Smith. I read the prayer every day because sometimes I can't pray for myself. Yeah. Sometimes I'm so overwhelmed by the challenges that my friends are facing or that I feel that the world is in chaos over that I can't. Today's prayer is a prayer about soul rest. And so this book has changed me because somebody else has put to words what I should be praying. Yeah. So that's been really important. Um, the, the newest book I'm reading is called The Loudest Roar by Judy Dunnigan. And The Loudest Roar, again, The Lion, Father God, it's, tell Cindy about it. Men would love it as well. It's about really understanding victory in Christ. How to appropriate the wholeness of God on your behalf and how to be victorious. She has prayers in her book. The book is worth it for the prayers. Wow. Um, It's called The Loudest Roar, How to Be Victorious in Christ. So those are the ones on my mind right now. I'm looking over at the newest book. I have you read this book, Patrick? The Habits of the Household. No. Habits of the Household. You would love this book. It's um it's I think there's 14. Habits of the Household, Morning, Rest, Meals, Recreation, Learning, Habits of the Household. It's written for moms and dads about how how to have a good pattern and a good habit. brilliantly done, extremely practical. I'd highly recommend it. And people who are listening who aren't yet believers in the God of the Bible but want to have a routine, yeah. And a regular experience of life because part of our security for children. A lot of their security can be found in the pattern of their schedule of life. I'd highly recommend it. Habits of the household.
0: Wow, we've wrote, we'll write it down. We'll put it in the show notes. Good. Kathy. Good. Um... Anything you want to conclude with? Or uh, I, I'm just, no. I'm, I, I, now I'm sitting here thinking of 93 questions I could probably still well, ask. Well, then bring me back. But we will have Let's to do come it again. back. And uh, it's so exciting to just connect with you again. Tell us, tell the listeners how to uh, get connected with your ministry and what you're doing digitally.
1: Oh, thanks. Yeah, our website is CelebrateKids.com. And of course, like any good website, there is a store. Mm-hmm. And all six of my books are there, along with the Bible that we sell, the Picture Smart Bible, and other resources. And I know that your listeners can purchase my books at Amazon and other places, but we're a ministry. So if you purchase from us, we benefit from that as you invest in what it is that we're offering the people. So I would recommend that. We have a Friday newsletter that comes out. It's brief because we're all busy. So if people want to stay connected to our philosophy, they can sign up for that newsletter at the website. We are on Instagram and Facebook at Celebrate Kids, Inc. And we have a podcast called Celebrate Kids with Dr. Kathy. And I would be thrilled if some of your listeners would choose to check that out. Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. What an honor to be with you. We've, how long have we known each other now? Gosh, it's been a long time and it's been nothing. It's it's, been,
1: I think it's close to 20 years. I think you were right. We'd have to look it up, but it's, it's, I love you and your, your wife and, uh, I just appreciate who you are and what you've chosen to do with your life. You're she's, a great example. to me. She's,
0: she's the best part of the package. That's for sure. And uh, Well, she's so a
1: delight. She is. Well, I will call that an
0: end. And for all of you who are listening to the No Neutral Moments podcast, thank you so much for subscribing. And thank you to our sponsors that you heard about at the top of the telecast or the broadcast or whatever you call this. And again, I hope you'll get connected to Dr. Kathy Cook. Until the next time, just remember, there's no such thing as a neutral moment. God bless.